0: to get that deal and let's get on with the show. Hi, this is Nick Freitas and welcome back to Making the Argument. It is Memorial Day and I want to go over some observations I've made uh, leading up to this Memorial Day. Some of this is some things I've talked about before, uh, but really the the purpose of it, the purpose of Memorial Day. And we're going to go through and I'm going to share some stories with some of the people that I knew uh, that lost their lives over in Afghanistan. Um, because that's what Memorial Day is about. A lot of times being, being a combat veteran, people come up on Memorial Day and they'll thank me. And I, again, I, I appreciate it, but this day isn't for me. This day isn't for veterans in general. This day really is to memorialize the people gave, who gave the ultimate sacrifice, not just for their country, but for the people they served with, for their families, and for the idea of what America is. And it, it's, it got frustrating during the war to watch some of these reporters and some of the people in Hollywood try to push this narrative that, you know, men and women join, don't join the military to serve their country. They, they do it for a job or they do it for benefits. Um, and then when they fight, they're not fighting for their country. They're just fighting for the person to, to their left and right. And, and I despise that narrative. And the reason why I do is not because it isn't true that people are fighting to the person to their left or the right. We're in combat. We absolutely are. But this idea that that's the only thing that drove us to serve in the first place is absolute garbage. Um, Just about everyone I know that I served with was patriotic. Just about everyone I know that I, I served with not only cared about the person on the left and the right, they cared about their country. They cared about the ideas which informed our country. They cared about their families. They cared about their kids growing up in a country that was going to allow them to live their lives the way they wanted to live them, to, to be genuinely and truly free. And all of those factors played into the idea of why they joined in the first place, why they went overseas and fought, and their conduct once they were in dangerous situations over in, overseas. And so I, I want to dispel this idea that, you know, that, that, that it's just about the man to your left and right, or the woman to your left and right. That is, that is a critical part of it. Um, but don't take away the other influences or the other factors that encourage people or, or lead people down a path where they decide to serve and where they decide to serve in, to serve in roles that could put them in incredible danger to include mortal danger. The other thing I want to avoid against is this idea where we treat people um, that joined the military, served overseas, whether they were wounded, whether they came back with um, mental health issues or whether or not they were killed in combat. Don't treat them like victims. Uh, again, one of the most abhorrent things I think you can do is treat a, a combat veteran like a victim or treat someone that died in combat as a victim, um, especially in, in, an, in an era where we have an all-volunteer force. The other thing that I would, I would caution people against on Memorial Day is making Memorial Day totally a referendum on U.S. foreign policy. I have issues with U.S. foreign policy. I've articulated those issues with foreign policy. Um, But today is supposed to be about remembering who these people were and the enormous sacrifice that they made. And we talk about sacrifice. It's a word that we just throw out there. And what I'm going to attempt to do today is give some context to what we mean by sacrifice. Because it wasn't only the sacrifice of the people that went overseas and died. And I'm going to list four people today here that I knew. Um, it's also about the sacrifice that their families made and what they gave up. Um, or, or a better way to, to talk about it is, is, you know, a lot of times we talk about people losing their lives. They didn't lose them. They made a conscious decision to fight for something that they believed in. And in the course of doing that, they gave their lives in order to fight for something that they thought was truly unique and special and worth fighting for. And if and if we want to honor the people that made that final sacrifice, you don't do that by treating people like they were victims or treating people like they they went overseas to fight just because they were a tool of U.S. foreign policy. Um, That's not how you do it, in my opinion. Maybe someone can disagree with me, but that's the way I see it. And I'm pretty adamant about this. And one of the other reasons why I think it's important to talk about these things is that I've had a lot of people that I, I know that I respect that are friends That as they talk about Memorial Day, they'll say things like happy Memorial Day or what are you planning to do for Memorial Day? And and generally what they mean by that is, are you going on a trip? Are you going to have a barbecue? Are you going to the beach? Are you going to the pool? What is it? And and I want to make something very, very clear. When someone says happy Memorial Day, I don't get offended by that. I, I understand the spirit in which they mean it. When somebody starts talking about their plans for Memorial Day, I don't begrudge them the idea of to have taken a long weekend and spending time with family and friends in order to enjoy life. I mean, my gosh, if we weren't fighting for your ability to to use your freedom in a way to benefit yourself, your family, your friends. I mean, what were we fighting for? So I I want people to enjoy all those things, but I, I want them to also understand at the same time that we're doing all of that, that Memorial Day has a very specific purpose. And that purpose is not just to give an extended weekend. And if if you're wondering how combat veterans view something like Memorial Day, there's a lot of different emotions that that come up with that. Right? Some of it is proud of having to serve with the people that you've served with and that you're actually remembering. Some of it has to do with guilt. Um, you know, clinically it's referred to as survivor's guilt, but what it essentially comes down to is constantly wondering. You know why them? Why not me? Um, and I think one of the things that we we struggle with, and then honestly, that we should struggle with, is that when we found ourselves in a situation where we went to combat and we lost someone that we cared about, or if you're a citizen that just appreciates that somebody went and fought for you and and is and gave up everything as a as a result of that, the best way to honor those people is to live your life in such a way that brings honor to the sacrifice that they made. The way I've referred to it before is I, I want to make sure that not just my kids, but the kids of friends that I lost grow up in a country worthy of their sacrifice. And so I want to talk about some of the people that I knew and who they were, not just in the sense that they were someone that died in combat, but who they were because that illustrates the sacrifice that was made. Now, when 9-11 first happened, I was, uh, I was a light infantryman. I was stationed over in Hawaii. I was about as far away you could get from New York City as possible. But I remember them coming to us and telling us that 9-11 had just happened, that the planes had flown into the World Trade Center. And at first, there was this idea of disbelief. There was this. We, we thought it was maybe part of like a training scenario narrative that they were telling us in order to go to the next phase of, of what we were about to do. And I'll never forget someone sitting there in Hawaii really early in the morning and saying, are you serious? And our platoon started saying, no, we're serious. This actually happened. If you've got any friends in New York city, if you've got any family, you know, you might want to call. And we did, we had some guys in our platoon with family in New York city. I didn't have uh, friends in New York city at the time. And so they were able to, to leave, get a phone, call somebody to try to make sure that their family was okay. And we got pulled out of the field. And when we got pulled out of the field, that was the first time I came back and I got to actually see the news reports. And we went into a stage in, in the 25th Infantry Division and over in Hawaii where we started you know, guarding different infrastructure within the island and whatnot. And we all knew that war was coming. We weren't sure exactly where. We all knew it was coming. And I remember watching the first, uh, one of the first news reports I, I got to see when we actually went into Afghanistan, and two people that I knew um, from Ranger Battalion were killed on a mission to go rescue another service member. And the two people that were killed there was Mark Anderson and Bradley Kroos, two of the earliest casualties we had in the war in Afghanistan. And Bradley Cross, I had gone to basic training with. I'd gone to infantry basic training in Fort Benning, Georgia, Georgia with Mark Anderson. I had gone to Ranger school with, and that's the part where it hit me, where it was no longer just my, my country that had been attacked, but that's where it started to get personal. Um, And that's where I started to feel guilty that here I was in a unit where I hadn't deployed yet. And yet I had people that I knew that were dying overseas. And it's, it's one of the decisions I made that I was going to, that if my unit didn't deploy, that I was going to volunteer for special forces, um, so that I could also get overseas. And I want to tell you a little bit about these, these two guys, uh, Mark Anderson and Bradley Crose. So Bradley Crose is like three bunks down from me in basic training. And Bradley was one of these guys that, uh, you know, all of us show up to basic training in different stages of fitness, right? Um, And I, I mean, I, you know, I played sports in high school and whatnot, so I was fairly fit, right? I wasn't, I wasn't hurting too bad, but Bradley was the guy that shows up and aces the PT test on the first day and was just incredibly disciplined. He know, he knew what he wanted to do. He wanted to be a Ranger. He had a Ranger contract, which means that the moment he came into infantry basic training he was going to infantry basic. Then he was going to go to airborne school. Then he was going to go to what we refer to as the ranger indoctrination program at that time. And then he was going to go to ranger battalion. And obviously army rangers are, are one of the most elite fighting forces that we have in the world. Um, they're, they're truly incredible. I mean, they are the, the consummate professionals when it comes to small unit tactics, airfield seizure, Um, I mean, if, if it is a Ranger unit conducting an operation, you can be reasonably certain that it is, it is going to achieve mission success because these guys are highly trained and they're very, very good at what they do. And they're a very, very close knit group of guys. And that's what I remember of Bradley in basic training. He was just incredibly focused, but he was a nice guy. Like every once in a while you have this movie image of what a Ranger is, 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 you know, walking around a hundred feet tall, like just completely buffed out and you know like angry all the time or just super intense and and yeah bradley was physically fit he was focused he knew he was there to do but he was a really just night genuinely nice guy he he cared about the other people in his basic training platoon even though he was only going to spend a couple months with us and then be gone um and and then off to duty he was going to do at ranger battalion but he he cared about what he was there to do he cared about the team and he was a guy that would bend over backwards to make sure that other people were successful. It wasn't just about his success in doing what he wanted to do. It really was about um, being there for everybody on his team. And, and I remember in the, in the three months I got to spend with Bradley in basic training, that, that stuck with me. Because I, I had 52 guys in my platoon. And look, I'm ashamed to tell you, I can't remember all of their names. But as soon as I saw Bradley's picture show up on the news saying that he'd been killed in Afghanistan, that struck me because I knew exactly who he was. I knew exactly what he had been there to do, and he had had an impact on me and the other guys in our platoon as we were going through infantry basic training. And I remember watching President George W. Bush at the time actually address his family at a speech that he was giving as as one of the first casualties that we had in Afghanistan uh, because he was just a stand-up guy. He was a guy that made an impact. Even if you knew him for a short period of time, he did. Um, Mark Anderson was a guy I met in ranger school. And ranger school is about 70 days long, right? And, and Mark and I, I think we went through a binning phase of ranger school together. I think we went through mountain phase, ranger school together, and floor. I think we went through the, the whole thing together. And Mark was one of those guys where, again, <clears throat> just a, a genuinely nice guy. And you got to understand, if you're going to ranger school from ranger battalion, um, most guys that go through ranger school don't make it through, a period. And most, and definitely, most guys don't make it through on their on their first uh, try. They get recycled. They have to go through other phases. And um, Mark was a guy that came to the army a little bit later. Like I enlisted right out of high school. Bradley enlisted right out of high school. Mark had actually done some other things, but his father had been in the military, and his father had conducted some just incredible some of the you know some of the special operations missions you read about in Vietnam. Mark's father had been a part of that, and and part of him joining the military was as a tribute and an honor to his father. And if you go to Ranger school, again, if you go to Ranger school as a part of Ranger Battalion, you don't come home without that Ranger tab. I mean, you get hurt, you recycle, you stay, you you go back through. I mean, whatever it takes, you're going to graduate Ranger school. And that was Mark's mentality. But Mark was another one of those guys that, you know, it wasn't good enough just for him to get through Ranger school. He wanted everyone he was going through with to get through as well. He saw that as his team. And again, Ranger school is one of those environments where people come from units all over uh, the military, all over the army. And then, you know, you leave and you, you know, a lot of times you don't see each other again, or you might see each other later on in your career. But Mark was a guy that had joined the military because he loved his country, because it was a tribute to his father. He had went to ranger school because he wanted to carry on that legacy. He wanted to be a a part um, of that, that larger family history. And he and Bradley were both in the same, both in the same operation when both of them were killed. And I remember thinking about that. And, and again, there was an element of tragedy to the idea that, you know, Mark had family members that had, had done all of these operations and, and come home and Mark didn't. Um, but I also know that Mark was very proud to carry on that tradition as part of his family. And all of us that knew Mark were incredibly proud to have known Mark and were better for it. Um, two other guys I want to talk about. Um, guys that I, I, went through training with that I, I, served in combat with, uh, one guy I went through training with Jeremy, Wright. He was one of the first, um, guys from first special forces group, which is where I served uh, to die in combat. Uh, uh, Sergeant first class Chapman was a, or something was master Sergeant Chapman was, I believe the first guy from first special forces group to die uh, in the war on terror. But Jeremy was one of the first from, um, second battalion first special forces group. He was serving over in Afghanistan and uh, Jeremy was another one of these guys that <clears throat> he didn't join the military right out of high school. He had actually been an incredible athlete and he was really quiet about it. Like you would never know this about Jeremy unless you were really pressing him about it uh, or someone else told you. But he had like state championship records. He'd had records in college um, uh, on, on cross country and all these other things. An incredibly smart guy, like just I mean, we, we had a lot of smart guys in SF, but Jeremy was one of those guys that stood out that was just incredibly you know, his intellectual prowess was incredible, and just a very soft-spoken guy. And we went through the the qualification course together, and then we were on the Thai language course together. And for those of you who are wondering, it is Thai an easy language to learn uh, for most of us. No, for Jeremy, a lot easier because again, he was just he was just an intelligent guy, and he was always willing to help out other people. Um, and when we got to first group together, we went to different battalions, and and he was over there in Afghanistan, and I remember hearing the report that Jeremy had been killed in combat. And again, this was a guy that had, you know, he had a lot of other options in life. You know, there's this idea sometimes from some of these elites where it's the, you join the military because you don't have anything better to do, or you don't have any other economic prospects. Well, first of all, that's garbage on every level. But when you look at the opportunities that Jeremy had, um, you know, he, he was already, you know, had already gone through college. He already had these, uh, he joined because in part of 9-11. He joined specifically because he felt a call to service and he gave up other opportunities in order to serve his country. And then when he chose to serve his country, he didn't necessarily go into the field in the military that would have given him the most you know, economic bang for his buck based off of what he had done in college. He went into special forces. And we had a program at that time that they had brought back where you could enlist in the military specifically to go to special forces. It, it had been that way earlier on in the history of SF, which goes all the way back to, you know theoretically goes all the way back to the forties. Um, and they had had this program for a while. They got rid of it. They brought it back during um, the war on terror. And, and that's what he chose to do. And he chose the unit that he knew was going to immediately send him into combat. And if you understand about how green berets operate, we operate in 12 man teams. Everything is by through and with the local population. Um, so a lot of times on the combat operations that we go on, there's more indigenous forces than there are green berets. Uh, even if, you know, we operate as a full 12 man team. We might have a 30 person or a 50 person. I mean, one SF ODA, you know, doctrinally can train up to, can train and advise and go up on combat operations with a battalion's worth, which is roughly around 500 uh, people uh, of indigenous forces. And he was one of those guys on that cutting edge doing that. And um, again, it was, it was one of those, it was one of those things that hit us all. Cause it was, it was completely unexpected, not because not because we didn't understand that going into combat obviously can produce casualties. Um, but it it's always that moment of pause when this isn't someone that was just in another unit. This was someone that, that, you know, and that you, you went through training with. Um, and again, Jeremy was a great guy. And he, again, just like Mark and Bradley, he deserves to be remembered for everything within his life. Not just that sacrifice, everything that brought him up to that point. Where he voluntarily chose to be put in a position where we would have to sacrifice, all of that deserves to be remembered, all of it. And then the the final guy I want to talk about, and um we'll probably clip to a a um, a memorial day event I attended back in. I think it was twenty fifteen or twenty fourteen. But I'd been, asked to, I'd been asked to speak by my local VFW and my local American Legion unit. They said, you know, would you be willing to give the Memorial Day address at the National Cemetery that we have here in Culpeper? And I had never done this before, and I wasn't sure exactly what I was going to talk about. Um, but I decided to, to talk about Dehan, uh Dehan Park. And him and his brother were both in special operations. They were both um, adopted. This was their adopted country. And both of them ended up dying in service to their country. But Dehan I had actually served with on ODA uh, 1333 in Iraq in 2008. And uh, Dayhan was an uh, 18 Echo, which was our, our communications guy. And I had gone to Bangladesh with him. I'd gone to Thailand with him. I'd gone to Iraq with him. Um, you know, we knew each other. We had barbecues together. Uh, we would share parenting tips. And uh Dan was really into chess as well. He got us all kind of addicted to playing chess. Um, you know, whenever we had some downtime in Iraq, we were part of this like chess league that we would do. Dayhan was very intense about it, and uh, really good chess player. He was much better than me. In fact, anytime I would beat Dayhan, that was a good day because it didn't happen very often. Um, but I just want to share some stories too about Dayhan. I, I remember we were we were about to ship out, uh, or we had just gotten. I think we had just gotten back from our, our tour in Iraq. And, um, I had had this, I had had this issue where, uh, my oldest daughter, Lily at the time, you know, she was like six, five or six years old and she had gotten mad at, uh, her mom. She got mad at Tina, my wife. And she had said something like, you know, I wish you weren't my mom. And I remember getting home and Tina told me about that. And I said, I'll take care of this. And so what I did is I had Lily or I had Tina. I said, you're going to go over and spend the night at our friend, uh, you know, Anthony and Janelle's house, you're going to go spend the night over there. So just pack a bag and go over there. And so she packs a bag and she goes over there and Lily comes walking in. she goes, where's mommy? I said, well, you said you didn't want, you know, mommy to be your mommy anymore. So, so mommy's gone now. And Lily got really upset and, and started crying and whatnot. And, um, I said, well, do you want to call mommy? She goes, yeah. So I I pick up the phone. I call Tina. I'm like, Lily's about to call you. Don't answer the phone. So Lily calls Tina doesn't answer. Tina answer the phone because I won't let her. And then Tina comes back the next day and Lily is just like crying and hugging and I'm so sorry. And I'm telling Dejan this story and Dejan's like, funny, you should mention that because <laughs> he had had a similar situation where his daughter, who's total sweetheart, uh, but his daughter had, had been disrespectful to, you know, his his wife, uh, you know, Maya. And, and uh, he did the same thing. He's like, go pack a bag. So he has her pack a bag and she packs a bag and he goes up and looks at the bag. He goes, no, I paid for that. I paid for that. I, you, I'll let you have this. And then she walks out to the curb and, you know, has her little bag down there and watch watching just to make sure she's okay. He comes out, talks to her again. Uh, but essentially it was, the, it was the same thing, but it, here it was like just two guys and, you know, you, you know, we're, we're green berets and, and we're, you know, we're highly trained in the whole deal. And we're sharing these stories about, you know, how much we love our, our kids and And Dan did Dan loved his family, was just absolutely committed to his family um but sharing these stories about different ways that we you know we're bringing up our daughters and and we're we're trying to train them to you know be respectful to their mothers and to be kind and again, his kids are just wonderful people, and his wife's a wonderful woman um, and you know, I just remember these times with Dan there was another time in Bangladesh, and one of the big things in sF is again, we all have our our specific functions, right? I was a weapons sergeant and then I was an intel sergeant. Dan was a communications sergeant. You have medics, you have engineers, um, you know, you have your warrant officer, your captain, your team sergeant, etc. Well, the big joke with the camo guys was the, the 18 Echoes, they took a lot of pride in the fact that they could get comms no matter where you were. And they they did a lot of uh you know education on how to get communications no matter where using wave theory. And we're in the middle of nowhere, Bangladesh, right? We're on the Burmese border. And and Dehan is just adamant that him and his other echo, Chris, they're gonna make comms with with Oki. And so they're doing everything from making their, you know, expedient antennas and throwing other things up and whatnot. And it's pouring down rain because it's monsoon season, and Dehan's pissed, right? Because he doesn't have communications yet. And Dehan was a consummate professional, right? For him, it was a matter of personal pride that if he said he was going to do something, he was going to do it. And so he was out there for hours. And I remember when he finally gets comms because we're giving him crap the whole time, right? We're like, is it, hey Dehan, is it sunspots, man? Right. Because that was the big that was the big anytime they couldn't get comms, like was sunspots. Because yeah, the sun and and you know interferes with with radio waves and the whole deal. But that you know, each each MOS had their little joke on on why they you know couldn't do what they were supposed to do or why something wasn't working. Whether it was a weapons thing for the bravos, a medical thing for the, the combo guys, if it was an explosives thing for the engineer, but for, for the combos guys, sunspots, right? So we're we're giving him crap about it, and when he finally got comms and he's community sending messages, and and it was <laughs> we had given him so much crap, and then like one of these days in Bangladesh, it's his day to run PT. And we hated it. Well, I shouldn't say that. I hated it when Dahan ran PT because again, Dan was a fit guy and he loved CrossFit. And, and I'm convinced that CrossFit was invented by people that love to work out in order to destroy people that don't love to work out. And Dahan had these exercises he would have us do. Um and he'd use all these field expedient tools. And and a lot of it was based off of things that you would have to do in combat, whether it was carrying people or equipment. Or, you know, shooting, moving and communicating or getting behind cover or whatever it was. But Dehan was going to run you to your physical limit. And that's what he did. And, and I'll, I'll never forget when CrossFit started doing their, uh, their hero workouts and they, they would have a workout that was named after uh, a fallen service member. And I, I went on, I saw they do that and I found Dayhan's workout and it was brutal. It was a brutal workout. It was so brutal that you had some of these guys that, that you know, didn't know Dayhan, weren't service members going in, going, you know, this seems dangerous. And I, does anybody really do this? And all of a sudden a ton of us flooded in who knew Dehan and were like, look, we know Dehan. and yeah, cause he made us do this crap and it is doable and it sucks and it's hard, but it will make you better. And that was a way to sum up Dehan. is Dehan would push you to your limits, but Dehan would make you better. Um, and, you know, I, I had the privilege of doing a memorial resolution for Dehan and his brother in the Virginia General Assembly um, because he was, he was just that guy where it, the greatest compliment I could ever receive and the greatest compliment I could ever give somebody else was, was not you know, a medal that you would get or something like that. The greatest compliment I could ever receive or that I could give anyone else was if I had to do it again, if I had to go into combat again, and if I had to go into one of those situations, would I want you there with me? Would I could I trust you to be there with with me? And I'd go to war with Dehan anywhere. Um I you could always trust Dehan to have your back, to do the right thing, to remain calm, cool, and collected in intense situations. Cause I saw him do it time and again. Um, but with all these guys, we shouldn't just remember <clears throat> their exploits wearing the uniform. <clears throat> we need to remember who they were as the total person. That's why I talk about Dehan not only as a, as a soldier, as a Green Beret, but as a husband, as a father, as a person. Um, because there was a lot of things to learn from Dehan that went beyond just being a better operator and that's what that deserves to be remembered too. And so the challenge that I would give to all of you is as we look at Memorial Day <clears throat> it's not to go around like feeling bad. That's not it. But just take a moment, do the barbecue, take your kids on a vacation, do all of those things. We 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 fought for that. They fought for that. But take a moment at some point during that long weekend Go to the Green, Green Beret Foundation website or, or just go look at the names of fallen service members and don't just look at the name. Go find an obituary that really gives you just a little bit of insight, just a sliver of knowledge on who they really were. And don't just read it for yourself. Read it for your kids. And to the guys out there that, that have also served that we have these friends, what I'd encourage you to do is don't. Don't just just have a beer in their honor. I'm going to have a drink in their honor today. But take the time sharing their stories and and who they were. And if you're in a position to reach out to their families or whatnot and check in on them, do it. Let their families know that we haven't forgotten and forgetting is not an option. We're never going to do it. And not forgetting them means not forgetting their families. And making sure that they know that their kids know no matter where they are in life. I don't care if we haven't talked to you in years. If you've got a problem that you need help with, you message us, you pick up the phone, you call, whatever it is, and we're there. We're on a plane. We're there. Because the the sort of bonds that are created in that environment, they don't go away. They don't leave when you leave the service. And the responsibilities involved with them don't leave when the person that you made that bond with dies it transfers over to their family. And it is our responsibility as the ones that knew them to make sure that they're remembered. And I, I don't care if you've got to pick up your phone and do a, just a quick tribute. Someone that you knew, someone that you served with, tell a little bit about their story and post it. Make sure that it is somewhere forever. Make sure that the memory of them is not lost With us. And as painful sometimes as it can be to talk about it, the story needs to be told. Because when you have a generation of kids growing up in an environment where they are able to live in a country which offers a certain degree of prosperity, security, and freedom that is unique in all of world history, they need to understand the price that was paid in order to achieve that. The price that will need to be paid by future generations in order to maintain it and advance it to others. And sharing those stories and understanding the nature of that sacrifice, that the the nature of the sacrifice was not a moment in time where they decided to go into harm's way and they lost their life. That is one moment of a larger sacrifice that they made and that their families made. And we do have a responsibility to be able to share it and to not just remember it with a sense of sorrow but to remember it with a sense of pride that such people lived and we had we had the fortune and the privilege to know them and serve alongside them and become better people as a result of the impact that they had with us so for memorial day to everyone that pay the ultimate sacrifice on behalf of their country, their ideals, their friends, and their family. Thank you. You are not forgotten. Your families are not forgotten. They never will be. And we will continue to tell your story in order to strengthen and ensure that your kids, our kids, grow up in a country worthy of your sacrifice. De Opresa Libero. Thank you.